This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. China makes big push into superconducting computers. And TAC preps for Frontera. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, you know, we've talked about alternate technologies for supercomputing, predominantly with quantum computing, but now there's new information that China has made a big investment in superconducting computers. Yeah, it was. It came to light recently. I guess this project has been going on for at least uh, half a year now. But uh, <clears throat> the uh, South China Morning Post reported that this research product uh, is it was, was launched in November of last year by the Chinese Academy of Sciences to the tune of about $145 million. Now, we don't know the timeline on that, but that's a significant amount of money. And from what the uh, report un- uh, revealed, it's already uh, yielded some sort of interesting uh, results along the way. Yeah. So just a quick primer on superconducting. We've, we're used to things that are semiconductors, which are wires that conduct electricity. And they're called semiconductors because they're not perfect conductors. What you have along the wire is electronic resistance. And that resistance leads to heat. And the heat is one of the primary factors in restricting how small you can build something because the heat builds up. We're all familiar with heat as a a predominant restriction on the way to exascale. There are certain materials that are known as superconductors, and they're called that because they conduct electricity with a much lower um, resistance and therefore less heat. Um, and so there are, there are materials like niobium, uh, tantalum, vanadium that can be used as superconductors, but there are also limitations in terms of how you build and operate these things. They have to operate at near absolute zero, you know, a few degrees Kelvin, but in theory can produce, uh, supercomputers or chips, if you will, that, uh, that can operate at a much greater energy efficiency, perhaps, as you point out in your article on top500.org, perhaps as much as two orders of magnitude better than the conventional semiconductor technology. So it's a potential technological advancement in unlocking a new category of supercomputers. Right, exactly. I mean, this is something that you know, scientists and researchers have been working on for literally decades i mean since the middle of the 20th century um but like you like you said the, the materials are are exotic in nature for the most part it's, and it's not just the fact that you have to super cool them it's they're hard to manufacture in, in a miniaturized form in a, in a transistor they're they're not like silicon which is a fairly simple compound these other things are, are a lot trickier to to manufacture and to, to well-behave transistors and and memory cells so that's sort of been the challenge. Um, the actual cryogenic technology has come on pretty far since you know the 1950s, and um, as as we've reported with like standard superconducting quantum computers, they've become almost standard equipment now. So that part of it's sort of a solved problem, but it's it's getting these exotic materials to behave uh, in a certain way and to be manufactured in a cost-effective way to create a real superconducting circuit. 
Now, in terms of reading between the lines here, we, we don't really know exactly where these Chinese research efforts stand. But to me, as an analyst looking at that large a dollar figure going into it, to me, it feels like it's past the conceptual research stage and they have some kind of advancement where they're uh, yeah. building these things out. Now, what kind of advancement that is would remain a bit of a mystery. It could be a new material. Maybe they have a new tantalum titanium alloy that's easier to work with and still retains the superconducting properties or at a, at a higher uh, temperature, which would make it easier to uh, run the computers. Or maybe they have a new manufacturing process to make it easier to work with niobium. We don't know what it is that they've They've, uh, they, they could potentially have advanced in, um, but there is the notion that there's now been a significant Chinese advancement in superconducting. Yeah, I mean, they reported, the, the South China Morning Post article reported the effort has already produced a computer chip, superconductor computing chip, superconducting computer chips with 10,000 uh, of these junctions, these superconducting, superconducting junctions, which probably implies that they've actually been working on this longer than November. They had some existing technology, which they harvested and started building these things. And the report also says that they've already basically designed a system architecture around what they're building here based on the technology, and that's nearly done. So uh, they are fairly well along, although their first prototype, they're trying to get out in 2022. So they're not really at a point where they can actually just manufacture the chips and then put them together and, and get something going. They've still got a good four, three, four years at least until they can get a working prototype. And that's that's sort of their near-term goal. Now, it's not like the United States isn't anywhere on this. There is an effort under IARPA called the Cryogenic Computing Complexity, or C3, that has IBM as one of the prime contractors. That's also been going on for some time. It's just, it's largely been a secret project, and we don't really know how far along these U.S. efforts are. But uh, again, reading between the lines, we can presume that the United States and maybe even Japan could still be ahead of these Chinese efforts. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell where everybody is, but right, the uh, the IARPA C3 effort has, has uh, had some publicity. I mean, it's not like a top secret thing going on, but they haven't released a budget or even really a timeline for, for when they've got the milestones. Now, they have admitted they've produced um, a chip with 70,000 Josephson junctions on it. These are super con computing junctions or superconducting junctions. Um, so they're fairly well along as well, um, and presumably they're proceeding at pace as well. Now their prototype, or they're actually, their goal is to also produce a prototype. But again, the timeline they haven't even given a year for that. But it sounds like they're at least as far along as the Chinese effort. And I, I would guess just to sort of read in between the lines that they're further along. But again, uh, we don't even know when the the second phase of of that particular effort is is going to uh, come to fruition. So uh, it's a little bit of a mystery of a mystery when these two uh, when these two projects are going to yield something worth uh, really talking about. To me, the big interesting thing is that you know I relate this to where we are with quantum computing, which has been a similar experimental. Uh, technology. Not that there aren't a few uh, quantum computers out there. We've talked on on the right. this week in HPC podcast quite a bit about these emerging quantum uh, computers. But to me, 
the superconducting technology is a little bit more akin to the type of computing we're used to. And for the fact that we haven't heard as much about it or talked as much about it, it, it to me seems like this is a more direct step forward in terms of a next generation of computing, at least for the types of conventional applications we're used to, to that if we're going to unlock a new generation of computing beyond Moore's law, beyond semiconductors, this is a more natural step forward. Yeah, I would I would say that's absolutely the case. I mean, getting getting chips that can run at you know tens or or even potentially hundreds of megahertz is really the dream of computer architects. I mean, this whole thing about getting to multi-core and many-core architectures was basically an outcome of not being able to produce faster and faster chips because of Denard scaling breaking down. So basically, you have now more computing units in in the form of cores to do the same thing. But really, what computer scientists would have rather done was produce one really fast core at like, you know, 500 megahertz. That would have solved, you know, gigahertz. You keep saying megahertz. You want gigahertz. We're a thousand times beyond that, but that's all right. We know what you mean. (laughs) That's <laughs> right. I mean, right now, the a typical computer chip in a, in a GPU or, or a CPU, they're, you're somewhere between one and five gigahertz. So now you're talking about potentially hundreds of gigahertz. So you need a lot less basically computing cores or computing units to do that. So this is this would simplify architectures and, and computing in general. This is really the way <clears throat> I think most computer scientists envi- envisioned how computing would advance back before Denard scaling broke down. All right. Well, Michael, this is an interesting story and certainly one that I want to keep my fingers on and, and learn more about. Uh, you know, for all I've spent, all the time I've spent studying quantum, I feel like superconducting is definitely something I can get a little more into. But also this week in HPC, we promised last week in HPC that we would get more into the details of the new NSF supercomputer going into TAC, uh, going more to the conventional supercomputing side of a normal supercomputer that only runs at tens of of petaflops and and now we are starting to get a little more of these details for the new tax supercomputer that'll be known as Frontera. Right. And that uh, as it turns out it's going to be a Dell EMC uh computer. They didn't say the make or or they didn't say the model number, but it's going to be filled with Intel processors and it looks like those will be the the new Cascade Lake uh, Xeon CPUs that we talked about recently. So it's the next generation of of Xeons that are going in there. Um, also, it'll be uh, and uh, Mellanox announced that they would be putting HDR InfiniBand into that system to to be the system interconnect. So that's the 200 gigabits per second connection. So it'll be it looks like maybe the first or one of the first demonstrations of of that technology in production. And then DataDirect Networks is going to pick up the. Uh, the storage side of the system. There's some interesting things about this, that we're going to the Cascade Lake uh, Xeons, and there is a part of the announcement from TAC that NVIDIA has a role in the project, so we might see GPUs in some form, although it's not clear whether those are Tesla accelerators, and if so, how many, or whether they're quadros, and or is it just a visualization node? Uh, so, so we don't know exactly what role t- uh, NVIDIA has, but we're going to pair now the Intel processors with some unknown number of GPUs, and still with Mellanox uh, InfiniBand. This isn't an OmniPath system. So, you know, it's it's not an all-Intel technology, and we're still... 
um, picking and choosing the selected technologies for interconnect for uh, computation uh, for storage. Um, you know, we, we've been seeing this trend toward either all Intel systems or the hybrid systems, and, and this is now a, a more conventional approach that doesn't seem to be locked all into one box. Right, but and I think it will be primarily the Cascade Lake Xeons that will be powering this thing. I think the uh, I think there'll just be a few GPU nodes in there, but uh, again, we'll have to wait and see. Now contrast this is basically going to run alongside stampede 2 attack that's the 18 petaflop system that's uh, currently running there and currently the largest nsf supercomputer this is supposed to be about twice the power of that so probably more like 36 petaflops and uh again it looks like most of those will be the xeon so cascade lake xeons powering that so that's a very big uh very big system to be powered principally or almost principally by um, just CPUs, but that's what they have in mind here. Uh, also, it'll be at that figure, it'll probably be a top 10 supercomputer on the top 500 list when it's deployed uh, sometime in the summer of next year. Now, there could be certainly changes on the list to push it back, but it'll be quite a big system. If it was announced or if it was deployed today, it would be about, I think, around number five. Um, so it'll be one of the one of the bigger systems and probably the biggest NSF, well, certainly the biggest NSF-funded system ever ever deployed, and it'll be the biggest university academic supercomputer deployed at the time, I think, unless somebody else comes up in the interim to, to build a 50-plus a uh, petaflop system. No, I think that's likely that what you're looking at here is, is what will be the largest academic supercomputer out there. One other piece of technology going into it that I think is worth mentioning, you know, we talk about this trend of moving data centers or supercomputers to places that are cool so you get more free air cooling. Austin, Texas does not fit that profile. Uh, it is it is harder to keep things cool in Austin, particularly in the summer. And uh, there is part of the announcement that Green Revolution Computing, who we haven't talked about in a while, is part of this uh, deployment. That's one of the companies that has an immersion cooling system. They're, the systems are, are dipped in uh, essentially a mineral oil that helps right. keep the system cool. And, uh, and that's always been a technology that fascinates me. I've seen Green Revolution Technologies at TAC in the past, and these might be now deployed at scale for the Frontera system. Yeah, I mean, that would be a really interesting uh, use of the technology because this is going to be a very large system. If they get all those uh, all those nodes in, in liquid immersion cooling, that, that'll be some demonstration and a, and a real feather in the cap for, for GRC in this case. But we'll see, we'll see how that pans out. But it's it's interesting, certainly that they're that they're going to use some of that technology at least for for the uh, the new Frontera system. And uh, it's going to get deployed in the summer of next year, so they'll get a chance to yep. keep it cool right away. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All uh, right. So the front Frontera system coming next summer to a tax center near you. And in the meantime, that'll wrap us up for another week in HPC, Michael. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.